Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, gentle listeners. It's Jeff from 50 Years of Music calling you from the van. That's right. I'm driving to school on a Friday morning, and you may be wondering, where are my compatriots? Well, in 1978, rock supergroup slash cartoon Kiss at the height of their careers came up with a brilliant idea to capitalize on their extraordinary fame. They made four simultaneous solo records and put them out all on the same day. And needless to say, the world was never the same again. They are four of the most unlistenable trash records ever foisted upon an unsuspecting public. And so we're going to try the same thing today. Unfortunately, Ben is a world traveler this week, and between... Reed College, Knoxville, Copenhagen, and Lisbon, he couldn't find time to get on Zoom and talk for 45 minutes about records from 10 years ago. Priorities, people. Priorities. So we, the 50 Years of Music guys, are making solo recordings this week, and then the marketing department is going to mash them together into a wonderful panoply of listening pleasure. So sit back and enjoy the solo album edition of 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Fellas? Fellas? Oh, that's right. We are not together for 2012. Oh my god, this is frightening. But hey, it is the 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys podcast. I'm here, Tim Plain, in his Asheville basement with the asbestos coming down. Uh, the, The host, without his talent... It's actually terrifying. You know what? I'm the host of a podcast without the talent. It's like a ham radio operator or something. I'm not just 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 going to sit down here in my basement and spew my conspiracy theories at you for the next 20 minutes. Um, no, we are carrying on. We are unpacking the year 2012 on the pad- podcast. Uh, we are not together, and yet 
we are somehow going to be connected throughout this thing uh, with Ben traveling to Oregon and then Copenhagen. And uh, I've been traveling to Wilmington, North Carolina for my daughter's soccer tournament. They lost. Thanks for asking. Um, and then we're off to Los Angeles for the premiere of Bob's Burgers, the movie. So just kind of a crazy, crazy week coinciding with 2012. So as Jeff said, we are doing this independently and then mashing it together much like Kiss in 1978. Which brings me to our first trivia question. Can you name all four members of KISS? Go ahead. I will give you a second. All four members of KISS. Okay. Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Freely, and Peter Chris. I still can, even at the age of 52, name all four of those um, musicians is a strong word. Jeff is right, though. In 1978, the four of them put out their own solo projects. Can you guess the names of their album titles? Does anyone remember those album titles? The album titles were Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Freely, and Peter Chris. They, they clung tight to the idea that they fabricated you know it was a a portrait for each solo album of them in their full makeup in their character and how weird is it and scary is it that that is the inspiration for our 2012 podcast here on the electrocast podcast network so 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys usually what we do is we start out with the grammy winner and we watch Ben react in disgust often. Uh, but he, I don't, gosh, see, this is the bummer. I'd love for him to be here because I have no idea how he feels about this band. But this was a huge album from Mumford and Sons. It's the Grammy winner. For 2012 and now we go on usually to some trivia we try to set the stage for what was happening in that year I'll do that really quick for for you all 2012 Obama is reelected. Whitney Houston dies no connection you had Hurricane Sandy the awful storm that that really just did so much damage to the Northeast. 300 people died. 
50 billion dollars worth of damage from that awful hurricane um in 2012, our hearts broke with the Sandy Hook shootings. We were horrified with the Dark Knight Rises shootings in Colorado. And it goes on and on. We just had a awful shooting last night in Buffalo, New York. Makes you think, like, how many shootings until there's real gun reform in this country? Like, what would it take? Because, like, if Sandy Hook wasn't going to make any dent in our in our laws what would like 11 shootings a day like mass shootings is that what it would take where our government would actually step in and do something i don't know but see this is what happens when you're alone on a podcast you just start riffing and uh you never know where it's gonna go so let's stick to the formula folks let's get back to the music We've got the number one selling album of the year. Once again, it is 21 by Adele. Go Adele. And what we wanted to do was give you the song Jeff should have played last week when we talked about Adele as the Grammy winner. And that is the song that Chris Martin of Coldplay kicks himself over. You know, he heard it and he was like, gosh darn it, like why didn't I write that song? That is such a great song. It is Someone Like You by Adele, the number one selling album. It's the number one album. Knoxville, Tennessee. And India, also in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's right. That's right. You were supposed to do a solo pod, but I brought my better half and the wiser half. So that's going to make it all a lot better. And you can canon how's the weather here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's a 50-year-old white guy topic. A classic. <laughs> it's a beautiful day in Knoxville. Clear skies, sunny, but not too hot. It's the opener, home opener for One Knox Professional Soccer, our first ever soccer professional soccer team in Knoxville. So that's going to be exciting. Beautiful. Well done, Andy Aiken Cannon. I'm going to go ahead and assume that Tim has handled playing a song from the Grammy winner and has mentioned that Adele 21 was the best-selling album for the second year in a row. Grammy winner is Mumford and Sons Babel. Andy Aiken Cannon, do you like Mumford and Sons? Uh, they're okay. 
I don't, I would never listen to them by choice. So Mumford and Sons are really odd for me. And I, I think maybe Jeff had the same experience. They're uh, like an alt country act that plays their own instruments and writes songs in a genre that I should like. And I really worked hard at it. I can't, I actually looked up Babel and I have no idea if this is the record that I listened to. Um, but I, I saw them twice at Bonnaroo. I gave it the old college try I with these guys. With yeah, they're awful. Awful. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah. They suck. I don't think they're awful. I know you don't, but that's that's my take on it for sure. Adele's amazing. Before we get to my album selection for 2012, Indy Kincannon's going to help us do a little back and forth. Okay, so one of the things that's the best part of the podcast is the Who Died feature. And I know Tim Plain, but I'm going to see if I can do my do my best. So Who Died in 2012, who um, is a famous author? That's the first clue. Shakespeare. No. Okay, one of his uh, one of his books you might have even read, and there's recently been a very popular Broadway musical about this person that he wrote a biography about. This is a Alexander question. Hamilton died. No, the author of a book, not about who was the other main character in Hamilton. Oh yeah, Aaron Burr, sir. Oh okay. And who wrote the book Burr? Was it Aaron Burr? No, <laughs> Gore Vidal. Gore, Gore Vidal, Vidal Sassoon. The, the shampoo he's a, magnate. He, he's a great author of my favorite genre, which is historic fiction. You know, 1876, Lincoln. Okay, listen, Burnham, now you actually are doing it good, okay. um, Timmy. All right, and you want another one. Let's yeah, see. Let's do it. Um, New Year's Eve, Never Ages, Plastic Face. Katie Gifford. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Come on. His two, his name is. Two one-syllable names, first name, last name. Joe Schmo. Dick Clark. Dick Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Clark. Do you see how well I did, Timmy? I'm just doing it exactly the way. We're recreating the exact experience as if you were here. (laughs) Uh, Now India's going to be me, and I'm going to be Tim. Okay. Fellas, perhaps you heard of Typhoon Bofa in 2012. Do you know anything about Typhoon Bofa, Ben? I'm supposed to be you? Um, yeah. No. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about that. I don't pay attention to... Typhoon Bofa, nicknamed Pablo for reasons that are mysterious to us, kills over a thousand people in the Philippines. A Category 5 typhoon. Rushing floodwaters destroyed entire villages. Ben, would you like to insert a joke after that information? No, that's not funny. <laughs> Tragedy oh, plus time. It hasn't been enough time. That's weird. All right. And now our one album. And this is a great one to have Indy Kincannon here for. This year, 2012, was the relief release of Taylor Swift's Red. One of our favorite Taylor Swift albums. Maybe, maybe my favorite. Maybe my favorite. Um, we saw her on this tour, brought the girls up to Lexington, Kentucky. Or maybe it was Louisville, Kentucky. No, it was Lexington. It was Lexington. We went to Lexington and saw, saw her fantastic show um this is a really big gigantic breakout pop record um and it was called red and she had red lipstick on and it was like a real aggressive push in terms of record sales my recollection is she had like a makeup deal that went along with the red lipstick and it was all like interconnected to itself 
the tour was super polished. Um, I mentioned this before, but basically it made me nervous. I was nervous for her at this time. And so one of the reasons why I was so thrilled to choose this record is that she re-released Red in her re-recording project, which we've talked about a little bit, but I just think is super worth mentioning, and in particular for this album. So fans of this podcast probably know, like when Van Halen got back together a couple of years ago in the David Lee Roth version, they actually went back and got old demos that they had recorded before Van Halen 1 came out, never released, and they just re-recorded it and put it out. Then there's a bunch of this with Springsteen, like the most recent Springsteen record is basically old demos that he's re-recorded with the E Street Band. I can't think of another artist that's done what Taylor Swift has done, where she's actually physically going backwards in time and re-recording the records. And Red's a great example of it. It's not only that she's re-recording it, like it sounds different. And at least to my ears, like 8,000 times better. Okay. Um, there's a real pop sheen to the original version of Red. Um, and there's a tryhardism to the original version of Red. This version is so much more mature and it's sort of after her acoustic records and the, the guitars sound better, the drums sound better. And in particular, the really obnoxious sort of synth drops She's just muted in a big way. So this is not the song that I'm going to choose, but it's a great song for you to hear what I'm talking about. Um, this is the first, I'll just give you the first 10 seconds of 22. This is the new version, Taylor's version. It feels like a perfect night to dress up like hipsters and make fun of our exes. Uh-uh, uh-uh, it like a perfect night for breakfast at midnight to fall in love with strangers uh-uh hear how much more like higher in the mix the guitar is do you hear how the drum instead of being this big electronic drum has got like a like a more natural boom to it um and then she keeps the keyboards in the chorus but they're just not like at that the um edm type beat and it's actually it's really fun it's like as if the stones had gone backwards and re-recorded their disco stuff to make it sound more like the stones um it's a really 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 interesting thing for her and it's it's not like she's not an old person obviously although she was 22 when this came out um so now she's in her 30s but it has a wistful middle-aged flavor to it to have her re-record it in particular the sad songs um amazing she is the artist of the generation for our daughters um and i don't think there's any much argument about that um especially for white girls <laughs> um and I love her and this work and this project to me is like a, a one of a kind, super bizarre, fascinating project. Again, I was scared sick about this, that she was going to waste her time re-recording these albums when she could be writing new, new material. But instead it's been the opposite. Like it's like, she's, it's like deepened her artistry. She's learned a lot about herself. Like you can hear it in the maturity of the songs. 
this is an album that she did when she was 22 and it's a breakup record for Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and one of the things that was really fun is when the record came out again, there was a whole new spate of Jake Gyllenhaal's villain <laughs> articles. Like they just rebacked the bus over Jake Gyllenhaal. And that poor guy must have been like, well, like I broke up with her like, <laughs> a long time ago. Like I broke up with her in 2011 to 2010 and I'm still getting crap for it. Um, 22 is the up-tempo hit that I like on this record. That one's super good. Stay, Stay, Stay is the super goofy, like up chipper upbeat if you like paper rings that we played last time you will love not like you will love stay 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 but um in the mood of the record i'm going to choose one of the sad songs i'm going to choose begin again and i'm going to let's see if i can do this now i'm seeing feeling jeff's pain i'm gonna start at minute 137 of begin again you said you never met one girl who had as many james taylor records as you but i do love that one i've been spending the last eight months just thinking that all life ever does is break and burn and end and on a wednesday in a cafe i watch it begin again like it's just such fantastic songwriting so beautiful um and basically it's a it's a story of it's a breakup song but it's like that like hint of life at the end of the breakup it's the spring shoots coming out um, and I love that. And I also love like the repping James Taylor, even though I don't like James Taylor, I find it super charming that she, one of her lyrics is uh, as many James Taylor records as you do, but I do, but I do just uh, lovable. Indy Kincannon, what are your thoughts? Uh, I really love this album and I love that she re-recorded it. That was such a flex. Like I, I like the, the political message behind that empowering. Uh, I, I love Taylor Swift. I, I like all her albums and I love that. Um, We've grown up, you know, our daughters have grown up listening to her with us, that we have some common ground on that. But this album's fantastic. The re-recording is uh, an improvement. I'll never listen to the old recording again for a lot of reasons, but but musically, I, I, I agree. This one's better. I, I like, I, I love uh, 22. I, I think that one's an all-timer. I think that's my favorite uh, song on this album. I like the, the more upbeat thing but 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 i like stay 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 and, and begin again the whole album's rock solid yeah totally and like um 22 comes out basically this is a similar time when adele writes puts out her album 21 and i really like taylor swift's version of being 22 more just to be frank and it rhymes with more things yeah no for sure but it's just also <laughs> like like it, it feels it's like happier. a perfect night to dress yeah. up like 21 it, is a set. fun I of mean, the hips are so fun sort of, sort of oh totally doleful totally. it's like yeah. a torch song sad for sure 22 is yeah just out having a freaking yeah. ball yeah freaking ball Super good. Um, and at the end of Stay, 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 if you listen all the way to the end, she goes, hee, 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 so fun. That's an actual thing that happened on the original. And she 
kept it for the re-recording. I was so worried. I was like, is she going to be able to recapture like the little, like the, like the young Taylor Joy? And she totally did. Uh, strongly recommend this record. The re-record also has all these, like, like a crap ton of bonus material. It's now basically a 30 song record, including the 10 minute version of All Too Well. That's not okay, 10 minute version. Oh no, it's it's great. Yeah? It's super good. Yeah, it's totally. so long. It is. It's Why is really, it good? It's good because um, she's this generation's Bob Dylan and I'm not even kidding. Jeff is going to poop himself when I say this, but it's like Idiot Wind. Like it's just fantastic. It stretches it out. Um, and in particular to like, to, to like re-release it and, and uh, she didn't pop like this, some of the stuff she changed, like, but none of the lyrics or something was super interesting. This one, like, it just has like eight more verses than the original one. And a bunch of them are rough. And she was like, F it. I'm just going to put it out. Uh, and uh, 290 million listens on Spotify. Yeah. I wonder so how many of those listened all the out. way through though. Because oh. I've listened to it, but I never finished. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. That's hilarious. Three. I've got maybe a short attention span. Yeah, no, I actually, like, I put that one on loop. I put that one on my mix so I could listen to it. Um, and I even listened to it a couple times running so I could really pay attention to it. And um, it just made me really happy. It just made me really happy. It's such a guts ball thing. It's a little bit like, um, so it's like a box set, except she re-recorded all of the stuff. It's like the red box set. And then to release, I mean, some of the, uh, some of the bonus materials, like, meh. You know, like, I mean, it's a, it's a great the record itself, just to be frank, probably has a couple of songs that I would have cut. And so then, and then you release another 12 songs, you know, 15 songs on top of that. Um, but the, like the, the act, but the sheer like massiveness of the project and the, the, the nuttiness of the project, and then the commitment to it, the commitment to it. Like there's a version of this where she's just like, I'm half-assing it for the money. I hate that guy. The, I guess Taylor Braun, whoever owns her stuff, she's super mad at, um, but instead of doing that, she like really dug in and made this brand new, super interesting artistic statement. Um, it's a little bit like getting out your diary from when you were 22 and you're 32 and then singing it aloud in your 30 year old voice, like super intense. Love this record. And Timmy and Jeff, it's been a pleasure, of course, to have the great Indian Cannon, but I do miss you, fellas. Later. Bye bye. Fella. Because I'm the only one here. Hi everyone, it's Jeff doing my uh, my solo track. Um, not sure what the other two gentlemen have planned for uh, this year, but hopefully you'll find my pick interesting. Um, I will address the number one uh, album, which was Adele again. Way to go, Adele! The Grammy winner, I believe, for album was Mumford and Sons. I'm not sure what the other two are going to say about this. My guess is that Timmy feels enough of a kinship with Mumford and Sons that he's going to feel like he needs to defend them. They're earnest. They're vaguely Irish. You know, they sing in harmonies. They wear suits. They wear their hearts on the sleeves of their suits. It's the kind of thing I think that Tim, that was like kind of uh, cooked up in a lab for Tim to like. Um, I don't know what uh, Ben said. But I'm going to guess that Ben hates Mumford and Sons. I do too. I really don't buy this band at all. I feel like they're completely full of it. Uh, and I had the misfortune of seeing Mumford and Sons open for U2 at the 49ers stadium on that giant Joshua Tree 20th or 30th or 40th anniversary tour. I, I don't remember how old I am. Um, but they sucked. You know, they, they stand in a little circle and... Uh, you know, they had no chance of succeeding. It was broad daylight. 
uh, 6.30 in the afternoon in a football stadium. They're trying to play like a little uh, street fair band in front of, you know, an 80,000-seat stadium with about um, 7,000 people paying attention and the other 73,000 waiting for you too. But I don't think it would have made a difference. I mean, I've seen opening acts that have blown me away in that uh, situation. So the less said about Old Mumford, the better. Um, and who, who, what do they care what I think? Younger, richer, more successful. And they've got, like, there's more people in Mumford & Sons than I have friends. So, you know, good on you, boys. For 2012, uh, we have to start by talking about uh, a phenomenon in music that drives me absolutely crazy. Um, and I promise that I'm not just going off on a tangent. There's an expression called lo-fi. I don't know how many of you listening know what I'm talking about, but you know it when you hear it. It's music that deliberately sounds bad. It's an aesthetic, you see, the lo-fi aesthetic. And uh, it's when a band deliberately records itself to sound warbly or amateur-like, um, like you were using a Tascam 4-track back in the 80s to record your own crappy demos. Not that I have any experience in that whatsoever. But the difference between me and my crappy Tascam and bands who have a lo-fi aesthetic is uh, I didn't expect anybody else to listen to my crappy demos but me. They were called demos. And I knew they sounded crappy because I was recording them in my home with crappy equipment. It's 2022 and everybody has world-class recording equipment. I'm speaking this podcast into a Mac laptop with a free audio program that's going to make me sound like NPR with absolutely no skill on my part, right? In 1987, <laughs> there'd be all this tape hiss, and my voice would go up and down and do all of these kinds of weird things, and now I'm going to sound like local FM radio. Up next, an exciting conversation about tulips. And it's effortless. Anybody can sound good. So choosing to be lo-fi now is choosing to sound deliberately crappy, and it absolutely drives me crazy. There are some very famous lo-fi bands. The most famous certainly is Guided by Voices, who have made, uh, as of this taping, I think 175 albums and have recorded like 4,000 songs, and about 25 of them sound really good. You're supposed to love the early GBV records like um, uh, Propeller and B-1000. I can barely listen to them because they sound so bad. And then they decided to go into a recording studio in the mid-2000s and made a whole bunch of records I really, really like. But see, those are the sellout records if you're a true Robert Pollard fan. And I just, I just don't get it. I don't get why you would want your music to sound like an old, worn-out cassette on purpose. Don't even get me started on the cassette revival. And I mean, seriously, knock it off. Everybody knock it off. Cassettes are the worst. They are absolutely the worst. And the less said about them, the better. Why am I wasting all of our time talking about lo-fi and an aesthetic that I hate? It's because there is always an exception to the rule, people. And my 2012 choice is that exception for the previous decade. Uh, Christian Mattson, a Swedish singer-songwriter, records under the name The Tallest Man on Earth, which, if you're a 5'6 guy like me, you already love the, the, guy, the name that this guy records under. The Tallest Man on Earth um, is basically a one-person recording project done in his house. 
Um, in 2012, he put out his third and, in my opinion, best record called There's No Leaving Now. And it is my choice for 2012. I came at the tallest man on earth in a really roundabout way. Um, my uh, high school has a talent show every September for the junior class. And we use the word talent show the way McDonald's uses the term food. Not to be mean to any former students that are uh, <laughs> listening, but I mean, let's be honest about JTS. It's super fun for the juniors who are in it, and it's pretty fun for the seniors who are uh, the audience that's intended. And for the rest of us, um, we're there to make your dreams come true. But anyway, one year, this kid got up there and sang a song, solo acoustic, uh, and it was dynamite. And like 30 seconds in, I was planning how to bum rush her backstage and find out if she'd written this thing by herself and why on earth she wasn't in the Branson Rock Band. Well, it turns out she was she was doing a song by the tallest man on earth called Who Where Do My Bird Where Do My Blue Birds Fly? Boy, that'll tell you why not a lot of people cover it. That's almost impossible to say when you're not trying to sing it. So I went home, as I do when I hear a song I love, and I found this song and I checked it out and I was so pissed off because it's recorded terribly. It sounds bad, it's warbly, it's far away. And I get that was the whole idea and it just pissed me off. It ruined the performance for me. What I wanted was a really good recording of my student singing that song. This is kind of a Tim Plain moment where I'm spending a lot of time talking about a student's talent. That's really more up Tim's alley to... Um, spend the majority of the podcast trying to make young people feel better about themselves. Tim is really the, the good-hearted soul of the trio, if you haven't figured that out by now. Anyway, um, that's, uh, he made a record called Shallow Grave, and then he made a record called The Wild Hunt. Those, songs, those records have great songs on them. Um, but this is the record where uh, he decides to pay a little bit more attention to where he places the mic, and he puts in just the perfect amount of overdubbing, a little guitar here, a little shuffle of a percussion there, uh, and he threads the needle between lo-fi aesthetic and listenable greatness. I love this record. I love this man's voice. The This lead singer is the sound of your baby soul plaintively searching for connection. It's just a marvelous sounding voice. I just love the way this guy sings. Um, he could sing the phone book and I'd listen to it. Thankfully, he's not singing the phone book. He's singing a series of just wonderful little songs that he's written and recorded. Um, this is a record about death, but it doesn't feel that way at all. Um, it's very, it's a loose concept record in my opinion. But uh, I find it, even with um, lyrics that are about loss, uh, I find it a really up, really uh, uplifting record. Um, it, it, it brings me joy, and it's mainly because of uh, this guy's voice. It's just, uh, what is... Uh, what does um, Fitzgerald say about Daisy's voice in Gatsby? Her voice was an inexhaustible song. I kind of feel that way about The Tallest Man on Earth. It's really great. Um, the first single was a song called 1904. Um, I see no reason uh, not to lean into the song that he thought would win you over for the record. It's, I don't know if I have a favorite on this record, but this song is terrific. And here's a little bit of it. Um, 1904 from... Uh, the Tallest Man on Earth from 2012's There Is No Leaving Now, my pick for Record of the Year.
So, uh, kind of a quiet choice for me this week. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of this guy. I imagine most of the people listening to this podcast are hip to this uh, this artist. Um, I bet even Tim has heard this artist. Although, uh, if he hasn't, I'm hoping he'll throw in a little, never heard of him, right here. I'm just going to leave a little pause for Tim to put that in. So we'll have to find out when the episode comes out, if I was right or not. Anyway, um, I'm really excited to hear what Ben and Tim choose. Uh, I hope somebody covered who died. I, I uh, did not bother to uh, research that um, because it's been a long week and I'm feeling a little lazy. I will say that uh, last night I got to see Pearl Jam play for the first time in a really long time uh, at Oracle. Um, I wore a mask. Most people didn't. That part struck me as a little strange, uh, especially in this kind of spiky moment. Uh, and it was kind of a weird show, you know, Cameron, the drummer, has COVID, so they had some old friends filling in. But uh, there's just something so fun about seeing a band with a rabid bunch of fellow fans. I mean, the guy on my left and the guy on my right knew every song from the downbeat, and we were smiling, and by the end we were high-fiving, and we were singing along. It was just, uh, it was just a really good time. And uh, it's just a great reminder that um, when you feel safe, uh, a live music performance can really uh, remind you of the joys of other people and of human contact. So I think I'm around the 10-minute mark. That feels like enough. Um, Have a wonderful week, everybody. And uh, we'll be all back together to hurl invective uh, for 2013. Okay, take care. I love you. All right, Jeff did a really nice job there with the tallest man. Yes, and Ben's pick of Taylor Swift. That's just a killer because my daughters felt very strongly that that should be my pick. Sorry, kids. Ben swooped in, and I think he has a stronger claim since his daughters are older. So I'm going to go with a, a band from Athens. Uh, you know that Athens has often produced awesome, awesome music. But I'm not in Athens, Georgia right now. Instead, I am in Athens, Alabama, where in 2009, the Alabama Shakes formed. Uh, some kids out of high school started playing together, brought in a few other musicians, um, and, and really just kind of crafted... Uh, an act on the bar circuit uh, as young 20-somethings going to bars, playing gigs, forming a sound that's been compared to ACDC, Janis Joplin, Led Zeppelin, kind of all over the map. And even the uh, lead singer, Brittany Howard, when she was asked, like, oh, what kind of band are you? How do you define your sound? 
Brittany Howard herself said, I have no clue. Kind of a band that likes what they like, um, doesn't like what they don't like, and tries to figure it out from there. Brittany Howard plays guitar. She's also got this fascinating voice that kind of paves the way for the Alabama Shakes. Formed in 2009 as the Kerosene Swim Team, which is kind of fun. But let's go with Alabama Shakes instead. I'm going to play you just a little bit of their big hit off the album. The first three songs are, I think, charted. Uh, but this song was actually called The Song of the Year by Rolling Stone. Let's play a little right now. What you think? Oh, that's right. I am alone. Um, but I really actually want to know what Ben thinks. So we got so much to do in 2013 because that seems like the guitar sound uh, Ben has described as his favorite. Kind of, kind of sloppy, kind of not not terribly clean, uh, and yet filled with uh, a kind of soul. And her her voice has this gravitas. This gravelly gravitas, if you will, getting us to hold on. That was the big hit. Love that song. Next two songs are great. Uh, it kind of has a little um, a slow middle for me as they figure out their their uh, their sound. Remember, this is their first album, but then it picks up again, and this is the song that just uh, gets at me. Um, as here are these young twenty somethings trying to figure out their life and somehow it's speaking to me uh, maybe because I remember what it was like being a young 20-something figuring out, well, okay, wait, what am I doing? What's next? Uh, let me tell you about that. After we listen to this song, I Ain't the Same, the 10th track off of this debut album. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you. 
and what I once thought, I no longer think. Um, I love that. She's got a line coming up uh, toward the end of the song where she says, I said I'd never grow old. I can't remember how that used to be. And I remember being 18, 19, 20, 21, and just thinking like, boy, being old is the worst. Being old is just like, you're just old, and you're in a rut, and you just kind of walk around like you know everything. Um, and, and I just had no time for people of that vintage. And I remember I was trying to uh, break into the world of journalism. I, I was writing for the Boston Globe at the time. I was writing for the Patriot Ledger down in Quinky, Massachusetts. And I was getting lots of uh, assignments to go cover school board meetings or town meetings or fires and things like that. Um, and I wasn't making a ton of money doing this kind of stringing. So I was also waiting tables trying to figure out what was next in my life. And I went down to Martha's Vineyard for a job interview. And I'm like, okay, I've been doing this for a year. I've been studying this in college. This has got to happen for me. This is going to be the interview that's going to point me in a direction. Um, and sure enough, there was an old guy interviewing down in Martha's Vineyard at the Vineyard Gazette. And I had gone to church uh, that morning as a devout Catholic and prayed for a little guidance. Like, just give me a sign. Let me know what my path is. Let me try and figure this out. Um, and so I come out of the church and I go to the Vineyard Gazette and I had a great, great job interview. He had looked at all my stuff I'd written at Northeastern for the Northeastern News. Uh, we hit it off. He pretty much hired me on the spot. He just said, let me work out the details and I'll be in touch. And so I walked out of the Vineyard Gazette offices just on cloud nine, get the ferry back to the mainland, tell my friends, tell my mother, I nailed this job. Uh, this is so great. I'm going to be moving to the Vineyard to be a reporter. Never heard from the guy again. I would call, I would call, I even had to write a couple letters. Uh, I got, I was ghosted, uh, and then just was lost once again in my 20s. Like, what the heck am I doing? I go cover a, a commuter rail protest in Hingham. By the way, the commuter rail went through, and it's, it's great. Um... And it was, uh, it was at that stage where I was like, I need more money. I'm not getting enough assignments. And I went and started substitute teaching to make a little extra cash. And I had to substitute teach my old high school journalism class. But now with some real world experience behind me. And I realized that as these kids asked questions, as these kids took notes, and I realized that oh my gosh, what I want is to connect more than anything with these young people who are excited about the world and want to learn about the world and want to get out there. And I don't necessarily want to write stories for 50-year-old white men. Um, that was my thought process back in the day. And I suddenly said, you know what, I'm going to be a teacher. 
so that I can connect to as many people as possible. Which is why this podcast is so important to me, because I get to connect with Jeff and Ben, who are not here, because I'm just alone in my basement looking at my Star Wars figurines as I say these words. Anyways, the Alabama Shakes getting at that 20-something angst. What's it all about? Where are we going? What are we going to do with all these feelings that we've got going on? And I think they capture that spirit beautifully. I think that's it. I think I'm last in this lineup. Jeff went, then Ben went, and now we finish with the Alabama Shakes. This is great. I'm off to Los Angeles, and I will see you all in 2013. Peace. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. ElectroCast. Transform your influence. ElectroCast. ElectroCast. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.